You're listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Humanize Me. I am Bart Campolo. This is my podcast. And you may notice that I said, hey, everybody, instead of using some clever moniker, even though I am in the midst of trying to come up with or trying to figure out what our clever moniker for us should be. And, and, and rest assured, we have some new suggestions this week. Although I also got a bunch of emails from people saying like, isn't this kind of forced? Like don't names of groups emerge naturally over time. And I know that that's actually true. Um, and yet, what if we called ourselves cosmic orphans or expressions of the universe? Because those are two that came in this past week. Or what about humangelus? You know, since we have good news that you can live a, a meaningful, beautiful life without any supernatural faith, maybe we're humangelus. Um, or camp humanity? That was one. How about Hugh Gooders? Since we're actively pursuing goodness and we're trying to... Hugh Gooders, you know, like do gooders, you get it. Humaniacs? which seemed a little bit caffeinated even for me, who tends to project maybe a little too much energy sometimes. Somebody just said, listen, why don't we call ourselves humans? That would let in everybody. And, you know, maybe that's it. Like, hey, humans, welcome to the show. Somebody, I got one suggestion from a woman who said, what about munificent stalwarts? And I thought, yeah, that that's, looks good on paper, but it doesn't exactly roll trippingly off the tongue. Munificent stalwart. Yeah. We'll just keep working on it, folks. Um, But in the meantime, whoever you are and whatever we call ourselves, I'm glad you're here. On the show this week, when we get to it, and and, and I got something I want to say to you, but when we do get to it, I'm going to have a conversation with an actual secular community builder, a guy named Peter Montoya who I've gotten to know over the last few years, he runs something called New Free Thinkers. And they've got a um, they've got a, a website and they've got a Facebook page that has, I mean, like 65,000 people connected to that webpage, which I, I don't even understand that um, kind of number. But he's built it up over the last number of years. And it's in, in some ways, it's a virtual community, although Peter's also tried to do in-person stuff. And in our conversation, we start talking about like what it takes to get a group of people connecting to each other. And, and for some of you that are trying to do that, it might be, I think it'll be an interesting conversation. I, I really enjoy Peter. And Peter really wants to help us build this podcast. So anyway, you'll, you'll dig that. In the meantime, though, throughout this whole presidential election cycle on this podcast I've said nothing and I I kind of the reason isn't that I don't have stuff to say it's just it it feels like there's so much being said out there and and a lot of times I read articles and I listen to people and I go like yeah that's kind of what I think too like I'm not sure that I need to amplify that voice but this week and and I don't even know by the time you're listening to this podcast the debates will be over and uh, as I'm making it the debate is not over but But those horrible, that horrible tape of Donald Trump talking about women came forth. And I do want to talk about that for a minute. 
not to run him down and talk about what a horrible person he is and how he should never be president. I think for most of the people that listen to this podcast, that goes without saying. But what I do want to say is that that tape, that's a huge sign to this country. I mean, that's a very successful man. That's a man with television shows who's been hugely successful in business, who has been in close relationships with most of our world leaders. He, you know, he was playing golf with Bill Clinton. He was playing golf with George W. Bush. I mean, he knew, he knows everybody. He's connected to everybody. That's not an anomaly, that guy. And so when you hear him saying, I tried to fuck that married woman and I grabbed her by the pussy. When you hear that, I think what it says is not that Donald Trump is the problem, but that we in our whole culture have a problem. And the reason, the reason I say that is because part of the problem is, is that people that don't, that, like especially men, men who were not socialized the way Donald Trump was socialized. Men who don't think that way, I think in many cases have a very hard time imagining the consciousness of men that were raised that way, that do think that way. And that's one of the reasons that they are so unhelpful to women, that a lot of us are unhelpful to women. Because women are saying, hey, listen to us. This is what's happening. This is what went on. I mean, when Anita Hill came forth uh, in, at, at the Clarence Thomas hearing, she's saying, this is what's happening. And I think that all the people in that committee and much of the country looked at her and said, come on, it, it, that didn't really happen. I mean, look, this is a really serious man here. This is a very educated and, and sort of a dignified looking man. There's no way he did that to you. But I think that if you don't think that way, it's hard to imagine that there are really very many people that do, but there are. I think black people in this country have faced the same kind of disbelieving experience where, where they say, hey, the cops, they just shoot us. Hey, they're so afraid of us that if we make, if we make a move, they're just, they, they, they come down on us like a, like a, a brick house and, and people say, come on. Come on. I mean, I'm sure there's a few bad apples out there, but you're not telling me that there's this huge pervasive culture of fear in which black people just get treated like, like they are dangerous animals. And that's because the people that don't think that way can't imagine that there are really very many people who do. Just as I think the men who don't think that way... I, can't imagine that there are really many people that do or or if they if there are they're not in positions of power they're not they're not successful you can't get very far in this life being that ignorant or, or like kind of being a rape culture guy or being kind of a hardcore racist guy and the answer is yes you can and I lived in I lived in a black inner city neighborhood for many years before people trusted me enough to tell me what was going on when they walked down the street or when they got pulled over in their cars. And I'm, I'm embarrassed to say it took me years after that to really believe it and to, and, to, and to recognize the scale of it. And I think as a man, it's the same way. Because I can't imagine thinking about sort of casually saying, oh yeah, I sexually assault women all the time. You can get away with it when you're famous. It's, you just grab them. You can just do whatever you want to them. Nobody can stop you. Like because I can't, because I don't think that way. My my mother and father 
didn't teach me that that was okay. Like when, when those thoughts emerged in me as a kid, they were slapped down. They were, they were corrected. They were, they, they were pushed away. And, and, and those thoughts, you try on ways of thinking about women the way you try on anything else. And what's important is to recognize that Donald Trump, as much as you may not like him, he's a victim. He was failed by whoever raised him. His teachers, his parents, the, the guys on his teams, the, the, his, his classmates. I don't know if they were intimidated by his money or by his personality, but like somebody should have said to him, hey, dude, when he was young and impressionable, hey, that's no way to think about women. Somebody should have said to him, like, that's not okay. But clearly he made it to his 50s and his 60s and nobody, including Billy Bush, stopped him. Nobody made him rethink it. And so as much as you may be angry at him, I'm angry at everyone around him because nobody comes up with that way of thinking all by themselves. And nobody gets to the place where they can articulate it with that kind of confidence unless they've been in a lot of settings where they haven't been corrected, where they haven't been challenged to think differently. And so, you know, I, I think we've got a problem. And we've got a problem not just because there are some small minority of people who think that way, but because there's a vast number of people that either think that way or, or don't think the other way enough to correct it when they hear that way expressed. And it works that way on sexism, and it works that way on race and racism. And frankly, I got to say, I think it sometimes works that way on believing in God, too. But there are a lot of us that have come to kind of a rational or evidence-based approach to life. And we literally can't imagine that the people that are telling us that they really believe in a creator God who hands down rules in the form of scriptures and that, that the world really revolves around these ancient texts, we go like, come on, there must be an agenda there. They don't really think that's true. And because we don't really think they believe it, we argue or we belittle or we mock instead of being understanding, instead of going like, huh, I wonder how that happens. I wonder how you make it to this age and you, you still think that way. Oh, there must be a lot of forces at work. People don't emerge thinking and, and I think it's the same way with believers. I mean, I'm sure there are believers listening to this podcast. And the same way when they see atheists, they go like, come on. You're just, you're angry with God, right? That's it. You're, you're angry or you're pissed at the way Christians treated you and you're taking it out. But like, you don't really see it this way. It's very hard when you're in a way of thinking to, to imagine the landscape, the emotional, the the mental landscape of somebody who doesn't think that way. And I just want to tell you, as I, as I listened to that tape of Donald Trump, I wasn't filled with rage. I mean, I was, but I was more feared, filled with fear because I thought that's what's underneath the surface of that guy. That's what's underneath the surface of a lot of people. And rather than crushing them or hating them, we've got to figure out how to get under that surface and fix what's wrong. 
And so, yeah, maybe we are humangelists because we've got a, a better way of thinking about life and we've got a more hopeful approach and um, we've got to work on building these communities and figuring out this language and figuring out how to approach people who think differently than we do in a way that's constructive in a way that actually has a chance of changing their minds. And I'm telling you, I don't think you can change anybody's mind until you can imagine it, until you can take it seriously, until you understand that it came from somewhere and that the parts of them that may seem the most bizarre to you are the parts over which they probably have the least control. Yeah, so anyway, I didn't mean to get all sermonic on you. I just... This Trump thing really has me upset. I'm horrified that this guy is a candidate for president. I can't imagine what the rest of the world is thinking of us. Um, I hate the discourse that's going on right now. But I, but I also hate the hatred of the haters that's going on right now. Because haters don't come from nowhere. And if you really love humanity, the answer is not to write them off but is to try to figure out how to engage them in a way that brings them over, that brings them into the light of reason, that brings them into the joy of pursuing goodness for its own sake. All right, yeah. Do I sound like a guy who used to be a preacher? Do I sound like a guy who's sitting in a room and there's nobody to stop him? Um, okay, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to turn you over to me and Peter and that conversation. I hope you dig it. I'll catch you on the other side. Peter, the reason why I brought you in here to talk to me is not just because you're my friend, but because you're one of the few people I know that kind of got it in your head that there should be something like, there should be a secular community, that there should be, that people need community. You got that idea in your head and then you went out and started one. And so you are an actual secular community builder. Do you think of yourself that way? No, I still think of myself as a dad and business owner, but secular community building is one of the things that I, uh, I do. It's like well. your hobby? <laughs> yeah, in some ways. A passion, growing passion. But you, I mean, you put some energy in and you started this thing called New Freethinkers, mm -hmm. which would you call that a community? Yeah, I certainly would. So I started it probably about two years ago, and I really wanted it to be, you know, a national organization with franchises, which it's just not going to be able for reasons which we will explain. You had, you, had, you had delusions of grandeur? I definitely did. Definitely did. I certainly watched Sunday Assembly explode over the last three or four years, uh, and I thought that I could probably do it better, which was clearly not the case. Yeah, so, uh, so, so when you got started, you thought you were going to—these were going to be— Bricks and mortar, like people showing up in person, human beings gathering together around what? Like what was what was the organizing principle? So I came across, um, you know, as I was surfing the web, looking at different philosophies, I came across a definition for free thought, which I really liked a lot, which is a philosophical viewpoint that holds positions regarding truth should be informed based on the basis of logic, reason, and empiricism rather than dogma. So rather than being told by a religious leader, here's your belief system, here's what the world means, you come to your own realizations about what the world means. I really liked that definition a lot. 
But what I didn't Wait, like so, okay, so, so you're, you're Johnny secular dude, right? Like at this stage in your life, like you may have grown up religious, but at this point in your life, you're not, right? Correct. Okay, so you're just this secular guy and you're on the web and you see this definition of free thinkers and you go, I like that. I do. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Um, and what I didn't like about traditional free thinking is they were uh, anti-theists. So it, free think, the word free thinker is not really in the mainstream too much right now, but you know, maybe in the 1920s was, was, was last pretty big, or the 1700s, they traditionally went out and argued with people of religion and told them why the religion was wrong. wrong. I didn't like that part. So I put in the word new free thinkers, basically to infer this is a, a new beginning of it, and we're going to be tolerant toward any persons of faith rather than being, trying to argue them out. And this is significant to you because you're married to a Christian, a the, devout that, Christian, right? Like somebody who's serious about the Christianity thing. Absolutely. She's very serious about it. And it lives in a very devout Christian family who I adore. So did you decide you wanted to start a new Freethinkers community as a, as a thing that you and your wife could be a part of together? Like, were you thinking like, this is something that Christians and non-Christians, everybody can be a new Freethinker? That was certainly my hope, right? So people of religion could also be a free thinker as well, correct? And okay, but wait, more... wait, wait. Go, go back to your definition of free thinker. Doesn't it have to do with like drawing your conclusions based on what empirical yeah, data, logic, logic, reason, empiricism, you know, experiences? Okay, and... like that's not anti-theist, but like that is the opposite of being part of a religion of the book. Yeah. But I think, first of all, it's continuum. And I love to think that I am, uh, you know, there's a binary switch in my brain. And I'm always uh, logical and reasonable and never irrational. Um, and I think that people of faith uh, live on that continuum as well, especially as they're on the more liberal side of religions. They usually are a lot more pragmatic. Uh, as you know, uh, the Bible really is open to interpretation. Now, there are uh, fundamentalists who look for the uh, original or literate meaning of it and follow it that way. Thankfully, those people, by and large, are in the minority, I think, in the United States. Uh, and most people who have some kind of religious belief tend to be more on the, on the liberal side, which means they try to live the basic values without taking it word for word. Yeah, but but I mean, but the the way of knowing, like how whether you interpret it in a in a sweet and warm way, or when you interpret it in a hardcore, difficult way, like you're still saying, the way I come to my conclusions about the world is from revelation. Like right. there is a God, and He's telling me what to do, and I, I need to understand that. And it, I, like I would think that free thinking would be the the opposite that says, like, look, I'm not taking anything from anybody. Um. I'm, I'm going to come to my own conclusions. Right. So it, it's like free thinking has not resonated with Christians, although something kind of interesting. I so did you figure that out pretty early on, like this isn't going to be attractive to my wife and her family? Uh, yeah, pretty early on. <laughs> I did. But oddly enough, I bought the domain, newfreethinkers.com and newfreethinkers.org from a Christian, and he was running a Christian blog on New Free Thinkers, and he, was, he had a, a Christian take on what I was trying to do. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You, you, but but in the beginning, you're thinking, I love that definition of free thinking. I think more people should do that. Right. So I'm going to start a movement. Correct. And what'd you do? <laughs> so I basically uh, sat down uh, and wrote a bunch of stuff as far as the values were concerned, how the organization would work. Uh, and then I posted meetings on um, Meetup. I got a Meetup account. I got a Facebook account. Uh, I created some meetings um, on 
for uh, New Free Thinkers. We did a, a, a big Sunday, um, you know, I, I called it a church for thinkers, where we did an hour and a half long meeting. Uh, and we probably had, you know, 50 to 100 people show up at each one of those meetings on Sundays. Once oh, wait, a wait. So, so you just you just put up a meetup thing? You just put uh, something on the computer and said, like, I'm getting together a bunch of people and 50 people showed up. Yes. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so then they show up, and 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 you want to build them into a warm, loving community of people that are pursuing truth together, right? Correct. How did that go? So a couple things. So we actually did have good meetings, but the problem was is as I uh, descended down from the mountaintop with this idea is that they expected me to do all the work. And every time that I tried to get people to help me, uh, I only got a couple of people, and they were only partially helpful, and they were unreliable. Uh, and because I was giving it to them for free every single month, why bother doing any of the work? So that was one of the major problems. So, I mean, they just sort of treated it almost like a, a concert or like an right. event. Like, oh, Peter's throwing a party. I'll go. Uh-huh. But they didn't want to. They, they, so, in a sense, you, you were thinking it would be a community, but you organized it like an event. Correct. And then people, and then you're just like, "Hey, I want uh, let's, I want to flip the switch." You're like, "Let's all do this together." And they were like, "No, nah, man, this is your thing." Right. Okay. Right. So I was. So how many? Like, how mistakes. often did you meet with these people before you figured out that nobody else was going to pitch in? Uh, probably nine months. I think it was probably in, in August somewhere, and I was, you know, bringing all the speakers and all the stuff into the, the location. And every single month, I was probably, you know, I was hustling, getting good speakers for the event. Uh, I remember I was moving speakers into this event for on, on August, and I was sweating through my shirt, going, "This is just not happening. I can't get anyone here, else here to help me." Yeah, yeah, and, and that's kind of the the, the rap on. Uh, well, maybe that's not the rap. Like, depends on who you tell me who showed up. Like, did. Was it families and, and single people and, you know, old ladies and little kids? Like, who was showing up at this thing? I largely got um, some couples, no kids, uh, and it was, you know, people from their, you know, 20s into their probably 70s, absent uh, anybody who had between, you know, 35 and 45 who had young kids at home and couldn't get out of the house. So it's got like 25 to 35 and then 45 and older. And, and were they church people were they probably a good half of them had formerly been uh part of organized religion and were looking to be part of an organization again and i think the people who i did get some involvement from were the ones who had uh been deacons and elders in church movements and understood uh how to be part of a community but the others were sort of more your your kind of the kind of people that show up at atheist meetings yeah, there was a, a section of those people. Um, I lovingly uh, call those people grinders. Uh, and grinders, I have both online and in the real world. And there are people out there who look for an opportunity to argue. Uh, they just want to, they don't want to discuss, they want to argue. And there are those people uh, a part of the secular community. Okay, so that's interesting. Like, so, so these people on the, that showed up from the meetup page, like, they knew that this was not a God thing, right? Correct. It was very clearly in there, but it did talk about tolerance and accepting people of any belief system. But we really didn't get many people, if anybody at all, uh, who are currently religious. Right. Okay. So, so, so theoretically, you were open to that. Oh, yeah. But they weren't interested. Correct. And which makes perfect sense to me. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, 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 okay. So then you start doing this. You're nine months. You figure out, like, it's all on you. And so... 
Then what do you do? You just shut it down and say like that was a nice try. Well, I, for a while, did these uh, TED Talk Tuesdays where people would come to my house. I got 15 to 20 people at my house on Tuesdays. It would be a potluck. We'd play uh, a documentary or a couple TED Talks, and we'd sit around and discuss those. Those were a lot of fun. Uh, the only problem with those was I was spending so much time you know, organizing food and running around taking care of people that I couldn't engage in the discussion. So that wasn't, it was more work than reward there. Um, and I really liked the people there. I, I mean, there was one... Tuesday we had um, where we had 12 people show up and every single person except myself had either a master's degree or a PhD and the people were absolutely brilliant. Uh, there were such interesting, fascinating people to, to listen and talk to. I really um, enjoyed that a lot. But once again, I was working too much so I couldn't enjoy the conversation as much as I wanted to. And at some point in that process, I remember that was when you must have, in your, in your later surfing on the web, found me. Yeah. So I finally figured out there was a big distinction between having a group and having a community. And I didn't know how to bridge going from a, an event or a group to have actually having a community. And, 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 you know, it's funny, like, because what most people don't know about you that I do know about you is, is that, you know, after you graduated from college, you spent years in the kind of personal development, Tony Robbins, you know, speaking world, you know, fronting events, organizing events, recruiting people for events. And so what's weird is like, it's not surprising to me that you thought like a community was a group or a, a, like an event. Right. Like, you know, you, you were an event guy and you were a personal branding person. So you're sort of like, here's the brand, new free thinkers. This is the idea. And we'll have an event around this idea. And voila, you've got a community. That, that's what I, my, that, that was my delusion, correct. And so at some point you found me, because I remember you, you sort of called on me and said, like, can we have lunch? And we had lunch. And you were telling me about this thing. And it was funny because I remember you describing it to me. And I'm going like, oh, my gosh. Like, this is, the, in terms of the advice that I give people about starting communities, this is kind of like the, this is the, the polar opposite of what I would tell somebody to do. Absolutely. I um, made every mistake possible. And, 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 and I think I told you that, right? You did. Oh, yeah. You were always very candid and frank. Yeah, that's me. And I really hope that this podcast serves as a beacon of what not to do to other people out there across the country who are thinking about starting groups. Okay, now here's the weird thing, though. is somewhere in the context, and, and, and somewhere in the context of doing this New Freak Thinkers community, you also started an online community. Mm -hmm. So it was New Freak Thinkers, and we're still there on, on Facebook, where we do share interesting quotes from philosophers, psychologists, politicians, uh, even celebrities, if they say something interesting, we'll share quotes, put them online, and people do discuss uh, and share those. And what's funny is, like, that's not even pretending to be a flesh and blood community. You know, you're not saying, like, and we'll see you on Thursday. Um, you're, you're just saying, like, this is, this is an online dealio. And that's been hugely popular, right? It is. So we have 67 or 68,000 followers on Facebook. We probably have about 50 to 100 people who quote almost, or sorry, comment daily on uh, the quotes that we post. And so what's funny to me is, is that I, I meet all these commuter people and they're saying, yes, I, I feel so connected. This is, I'm part of this online community. And I'm thinking an online community is really different than an in-person community. And it seems like, you know, this idea that you had that sort of didn't make it didn't go in person, but it goes really well on the, on, on, on the computer. 
It does. So I think I shared with you this video of uh, Sebastian Younger talking about uh, tribes, which I think is one step beyond a community. And he says something along the lines of people mistakenly think that an online community uh, replaces a real-life community, and it does not. It absolutely doesn't. If you do it right, though, your online community um, can complement a real-world community, but it, it does not create community in by itself. Yeah, yeah. So, so is your sort of takeaway from this, okay, I'm done with real life community. Like I thought I was going to be able to, to franchise out a way of, for people to be together that was, you know, meaningful to them, but I'm done with that. Or are you thinking like, no, 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 I just did it wrong. I'm going to try again. (laughs) So yeah, it was a starter community. You know, people have starter houses. It was a starter community for me. uh, And I think I will give it a go again. I've got kind of a, a piece of a theory in my mind of how to do it better uh, this next time. What, what, I mean, what would be the main thing that you've figured out? Because I mean, a lot of the people that I talk to, they're hungry to be part of a tribe. I mean, mm-hmm. I had a couple uh, uh, come in and talk to me yesterday, people that I know from the podcast, but they were they, they live in somewhere in, in the Midwest and they were out here for a conference. They say, hey, can I swing by and talk to you? So they did. And they're just these wonderful people and they, mm-hmm. and they're hungry to be part of a community where, and in a weird way, Peter, they're like you in the sense that they want to be, they initially were drawn to a community where no matter what you believed, you could be part of it. Like all narratives welcome here. You know, we're not going to, we're not going to, we're tolerant of everything. And so they started going to Unitarian Universalist churches. And what they found was, is that because everybody was tolerated, they spent all their time talking about what they believed and everybody comparing and contrasting what they believed. And they were like, no, 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 we, we, we want to be part of a community where we, what we believe we can take for granted and we can ask ourselves, what do we do now? And they, they said, like, we want to talk about parenting and we want to talk about um, fighting global warming and we want to talk about making better friendships and working on our marriages. And, and, and they said, but every time somebody would start to talk about their marriage... Somebody would say, well, you just need to pray about it. And then they said, but wait, I don't believe in God. And then they were back to the races of talking about what they believed. And so they, they, they said, you know what? If you want to have a community that helps people live their lives according to their values, they've got to have the beliefs in common or that's all you're going to talk about. So not to get too much into or too academic about what goes into a community, but let's kind of highlight a couple of the things. Uh, a community has um, shared relationships where I know you and you know Sue and Sue knows me. We all know each other. They have shared values. Well, wait, stop right there on the on the shared relationships thing. Sure. Because, you know, I mean, I was part of an intentional community in Cincinnati and everybody lived within five blocks of each other. And so it was like that. We all knew each other, but we all, you know, you'd bump into different people in the grocery store. And you're right. You would end up talking about other people, not in a gossipy way, but you would sort of say like, Hey, did you know Joe was in a car accident? No, mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Gosh, what are we going to, like, we should get, we should get Liston over there because he knows how to fix cars. And why don't we, I'll call Joe, you call Liston. And so it was a community because like we were sharing each other's lives mm-hmm. um, in a way that like these hub and spoke friendships things were like, you and I get together and have dinner and I tell you about a bunch of people you don't know. And you tell me about a bunch of people I don't know. I mean, that's nice, but it's just a different ball game absolutely right couldn't agree more and so so okay so that's one aspect of it and did when you were doing the new free thinkers thing was that a strength or a weakness like did that happen 
it was starting to happen, but we didn't meet often enough. So one of the things that you and I have talked about is that if you're going to do a community, you've got to meet at least weekly. Because as you've told me that if it only happens once a month and I don't see you this month, it could be three months again before I see you again. And we don't even remember the last conversation we had or if I even knew your name. Yeah. And that, honestly, that's one of the hard things about trying to do it here in Los Angeles or in this, you know, it's with the traffic and the way people live here. I'm starting to realize that I th like what you did where you put out the Facebook or the meetup thing and got a bunch of people who are sort of a little bit like minded. I used to think that was a good idea. And now I'm convinced that what you actually ought to do is draw a line around like five blocks from your house mm -hmm. and go door to door and say like, I don't really care <laughs> if, if, if you have the same economics, if you like the same movies, you know, I just want to like, since we all live close together, do you want to get to know each other? Right. I'm, I'm convinced that geography is more important than almost anything else. You might be right. I mean, you look back into your childhood and oftentimes your best friend is a person who lives across the street. Yeah, I mean, my, I remember my next door neighbor in Cincinnati, who was a real introvert, saying, Bart, if we don't live next door to each other, we're not even friends. <laughs> and the truth sure. is, is that since I've moved away, our relationship is really, you know, really down, down loaded because, you know, he's not a guy who's going to reach out and pick up the phone and call me and we're not in each other's lives. We don't see. But when we were bump, bumping into each other, going in and out of the house every day, every, every day, we, we got very close. Proximity is really important. Yeah. So, okay. So, so, so one aspect of community is a, a group shared, of people shared that shared relationships, shared values where we have basically share the same basic values, uh, shared mission, which, which wait, wait, stop on the shared values thing. Because sure. again, like what I would say is like when I was in the, when I, if I was going to draw a block, draw a line, five blocks around my house, I would then, if I was inviting people to dinner, say like, Hey, I'm going to have this kind of dinner. And this is, or, or this kind of meeting, like we're going to have a thing and we're going to talk about how to be better neighbors, or we're going to talk about like how to love, how to have more loving relationships. And some people go like, ah, yeah, like that's not really my thing. Um, thanks. And other people go like, that sounds good. And so even though the proximity was there, I would still not just say all neighbors are welcome. You know, I would sort of say like, here's what we're going to be talking about. If you want to talk about this, come on along. And one of the things that I used to teach in, in branding was the best brands repel in order to attract. They turn off in order to turn on. That's kind of the same concept. You got to make a stand. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and again, like with the new free thinkers thing, I think that there's, you know, that, that was probably one of the strengths. That was probably one of the things you had is that you were clear about what kind of conversation you were going to have. Mm -hmm. And obviously it did, you know, although you were, ostensibly open to all ways of thinking once you say like but what we're going to be talking about is you know figuring things out on the basis of logic and reason you just let out half the world mm -hmm. they're, right. they're not you repelled them correct okay uh, and the other mistake by the way we were talking about mistakes i've made in, in my first starter group one of them was using free thinkers as a moniker. As much as I love the definition, as soon as you start saying that, you know, basically all ideas and thoughts are welcome, all viewpoints, is what, which is what free thinking basically says, we'll explore any idea or thought. Uh, free thinkers, there are some really fringy ideas in, in the people in the world, people who uh, people who prescribe to free thinkers. I'll, I'll never forget we were having a conversation about what the biggest problems were in the world we were talking about this and kind of listing what we thought biggest problems like global warming or uh, income disparity um, or overpopulation or pollution uh, and we we're talking about overpopulation and some goes well you know 
If you really think that overpopulation is a problem, the solution is really easy. We'll put um, Ebola aerosol into airplanes and we'll spray it over large swaths of population and kill off half the world's population. So at that point, I realized it wasn't really a civil or humane way of organizing the world. And I started having deep questions about whether free thinkers as a moniker or organizing principle was going to work. Yeah, kind of everything goes maybe isn't going to no. isn't going to create a, a bunch of people that share the same values. So you do have to have, uh, I think, mutually agreed, agreed upon, at least from your, your core group, the values. And the values do need to act as a way of either hopefully self-selection where people self-select in or out. But if need be, the organization goes to an individual, listen, I love you. I think you're a wonderful person. You just don't fit in this group anymore because your values are so different. And the, a good leader has to be willing to do that because they do not eject those people who are way off on the fringes. That person will alienate people who you do want inside your group. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so you're saying like if you went at it again, you'd do it differently. Right. Uh, Miguel, the other thing that you, you, we have, for a community, you also need uh, shared experiences. And I really like uh, what we'll call mutual suffering as a way of building cohesion among a group. If you think about any team building activity you've ever been to, there's always been some kind of impossible challenge where the group really has to work together and somewhat suffer to some degree to overcome that challenge. And I know you like a shared narrative as being part of a community. Um, so if I was to do it again, I would really focus on a couple of those components of building a community. Yeah. You know, I think that the other thing, if I'm, if I'm honest with you, Peter, as I often am, and it's something we've talked about is that there are personalities like a, a, a community is like a band and you have to have a, a variety of different instruments. And, and that some people are incredibly useful and valuable in a community, but if they're the one that, but, but they're not necessarily the band leader, they're not the one that, that pulls it together. And one of the things that you told me earlier is you're like, you know what, like I am a hard worker and I have big ideas and I can really get behind a lot of things and make things happen. But if, you know, you told me if I was going to do this again, I would try to find somebody else to be the front person. Hmm. Yeah. So there's a couple of things I'm not good at. I, I'm not good at small talk, chit chat, uh, kind of the n nuts and bolts of interacting with people. Uh, it really isn't my strong suit. So I'd really want somebody out there who's a, the front man and also community community leader. Yeah. Somebody, somebody to sort of welcome and, and, and warm up the room and, and bring people together. And then, you know, I mean, cause that's, I mean, that's kind of my gig. That's always it's been my gig. Is. Yeah. That's, you know, and so when I have those communities, when like the gang, gang that we have at USC, all these college students that come together, I'm the hosty kind of person, which is neat, but I have to have somebody to get the social media out there or somebody to, to help cook the, you know, to cook the meal and to make sure there's enough food for all the people that show up. Like I can get them to come and I can make them feel welcome when they walk in the door, but I can't put the food on the table and I can't get the information out afterwards. And so, yeah, I think that if somebody's out there and they're sort of listening, e even a good dinner party, like e even if you're just going to invite five or 10 people over to talk about how, how we can be better parents, you, you do want to think about, you might have the idea that that needs to happen, but you might want to think about partnering up with somebody who has the personality to, to make that, to make that meeting smooth. 
Yeah, absolutely right. I oftentimes refer to those as, as the promoter types of personalities. Uh, you know, the high, high in charisma, and oftentimes, but not always, this is a generalization, aren't really good at the admin or the details, but you certainly need part of those people. So when developing a community, you do need to find all the different roles uh, in community building. And it sounds like for you, one of the big takeaways was know yourself. Like, mm -hmm. like, reckon, like, know yourself and know the task and sort of go like, oh, this is what I can contribute. But then this is what these are the other people I need to, to make this thing happen and think about that at the start rather than getting everybody together right away, because then they'll think you've they'll think you've got it covered. They'll think, oh, well, this is Peter's thing. Exactly. That was a huge mistake on my part. Yeah. The funny thing about most secular people is most secular people, people have a lot of friends, they have a lot of relationships, but they don't know that they're missing a community. They don't understand what a community is until they actually get into it. So it's really hard to say, hey, we're going to give you a community when they don't understand the benefit or they don't have a, a visceral experience of a, and the benefit of what a community is. You know, I mean, and this is, I mean, maybe we're talking shop now, but um, when I think about what, I've been trying to do in general, but especially since I started this podcast, um, part of it is to become better at articulating a secular worldview that's full of hope and full of proactive missionary, missionary zeal it, and not missionary zeal. Like I need you to believe what I believe, but, but missionary zeal that says, I want to go out into the world and make it better. And I want to go out into the community and have better relationships because I want to make the most of my life. And so somebody who's like on a mission, who says like, you know what, this life is so valuable, so precious, so amazing that I want to, I want to do something wonderful with it. And the way to do that is by connecting and by making meaning in the context of relationships. And so like part of it is I've wanted to give language to that. And sometimes people write and say like, oh, that talk, that show about death, that really helped me. I've never thought, I've, I've, I've always thought that way, but I've never been able to articulate a kind of a, a way of thinking about death that's helpful to people in their, in their hour of grief that isn't, that isn't religious or isn't supernaturally religious. Um, so part is the language, but part is also, I'm kind of trying to inspire people to start groups like just a weekly dinner party, uh, you know, a monthly picnic, um, but groups that are overtly value laden and where the, where, where somebody at some point says now, Hey, that was great talking about the football game and everything like, like, but like, remember tonight's agenda, like we're, we're, we're going to talk about this so that people would have that feeling of like, Oh, I know I'm going there to be inspired. I'm going there to be equipped. I'm going there to be transformed. I'm going there to contribute to the transformation of others where people collectively help each other grow. And so, you know, that's like, that's what I've been, I, I hope that sometimes somebody's listening to this and they go, oh, wait, I can use that, right? Mm -hmm. So when I think about your 68,000 people, if you think that there's a bunch of them that they have a great value system, but they don't have a community and they don't necessarily even know how to start a community, a part of me goes like, oh, maybe I should start posting articles on your on your website or like, I don't, I don't know if you do articles or, or quotes or, or maybe we should, maybe we should make a podcast about 
how to how to put together a gathering and then post it on your website because if you think that that's what those people are if if you think that's what they need i feel like that's what i'm trying to that's what i'm trying to sell so first of all i would absolutely love for you to take out write articles for new free thinkers we got a place to post them we'd love that we would also love to have your quotes i think you are absolutely brilliant uh, and i wish i had a tenth of your um written a bit writing ability which i just don't have so your ability to articulate and formulate ideas i think you're truly a genius and a thought leader i'd be love to have uh, more of your content on, on new free thinkers okay by the way that was a ridiculous plug and people are going to think that like i'm you know giving you a hand job under the table as you as you're making it um but but Bart, i am effusive in my praise of you and not because i get anything out of it because i but i truly adore and respect you. all right all right so, but, 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 but I guess my big question is like, do you think that's what those pe like, will those people, I, what I'm worried about is that we'll post something I, uh, some of my warm fuzziness on your website and, and all your people will write to you and go, get that asshole out of here. You know, like this, I thought this was a place for rigorous logic. And, right. and I think my warmth is rigorously logical. Like, I think it is the best approach to moving people in a direction. Like, I've got data to suggest that just using data doesn't work. Um, so, so but, but, but I'm worried that your people would rebel against me. Oh, they will. There's no question about They'll it. They'll hate me. So the, the online world, the Facebook community, the underbelly of the Internet, uh, there are a lot of people who they're, they're grinders and they like to complain, ridicule, attack, tear down. Uh, and that is a very, very small but loud portion of our online community. So I do look at when we post something, I look at the number of people who actually see it. And if it's a, a, out of our 68,000 people, sometimes up to upwards of 30,000 people will see it because of the algorithms on Facebook. I look at how often it's shared and how often it's liked. So I look at all three of those metrics. And then the fourth one I look at is how many comments. Um, and the comments mean the least to me. So what's interesting is if you post anything by, and I stopped doing this, the Pope, which I think that this new Pope has some wonderful humanistic quotes and values. Sweet man. Mother Teresa or Nelson and Mandela, all three of those people are viciously attacked on my new Freethinker page. I won't post on In the comments. In the comments. In the comments. Absolutely. Now, they're shared and shared and liked a lot. So a majority of our 68,000 people who see nice, thoughtful, humanistic, life-affirming quotes say, hey, I like that, and they pass it along as they should because it's almost like common sense. And then uh, the people who are kind of our, our ardent grinders will tear things apart. Uh, I mean, I've oftentimes made a joke that we could post uh, the sky is blue and we could argue to death, and it probably would. <laughs> yeah, so, so I mean... So what you're saying is you've got audiences within audiences within that 68,000 people. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I think that's what we're going to have to try. Like, I'm, we're, we'll, I'll have to put something together that would interest them. Or, or not, not even that would interest them. Something that would sort of represent like, hey, if you're thinking about building a positive community in your, in your world, here's something to think about. And just, I wonder how many of that 68,000 would go like, you know what? I am kind of lonesome out here. You know, like, it's great to be on the internet. I have 68,000 people who think like me on the internet, but none of them to have a, you know, to have a cup of coffee with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I think by and large, um, using a little bit of business speak is the idea and the sense of community is an idea that is going to be sold at first rather than bought. 
So that concept basically means that, um, for example, milk is bought, not sold. That means that you need milk, you know you need milk, you go to the grocery store, you buy milk. On the other hand, life insurance is sold. You don't like life insurance, don't particularly want it. Someone you know, reaches out to you and you say, they say, hey, you want life insurance? You go, oh, I don't really want it. And they sell you one of the reasons why you should have it. The same thing's true with community, especially among secular people, because they don't viscerally understand what it really is. No, that's deep. Because that, I, th- I think that that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to sell. I'm trying to sell people an idea that says like, look, you say you want to live these values out. I'm, I'm trying to sell you a methodology of living them out that'll make you able to enjoy them more and, and experience them in a deeper way and be more consistent. And, and people sort of go like, ah, you know, I don't really like getting together. I had bad experiences with organized religion and I don't want to be a part of anything. I'm not a joiner. And I'm sort of like, I'm selling. And I'm sort of going like, think again. Think again. Like, look at this data. Like, let me try. I'm trying to, you're exactly right. They're not buying. There's not all these people going like, you know what? I'm desperate to be part of something. I really want to give up a night a week to be with other people. And I've just been looking for a way to do that. It's just the opposite. People are like, I'm not really interested in investing in a group of people. And I'm sort of like, I know, but it's the way. It's worthwhile. Yeah. It's It's it's, a big, huge payoff. You know, I know you like, I know you don't think that your lack of community is the reason why you're discouraged or the reason why your kids are struggling or the reason why, you know, any number of things are, are more difficult. You think Facebook is making you feel more connected. It's actually making you feel less connected. And you think that investing in a group of people will be a huge drag and it actually won't be. Exactly. So we have come to live in the Uber economy. And by Uber, I don't mean only Uber, but it basically means if I need a service, I'm going to find my app or find Yelp and I'm going to hire someone to do it. I'm not going to ask my friends to call to help me out moving. So rather than getting a collection of my friends together on a Saturday where we get rent a a moving truck and we move together, I'm going to hire a moving truck. I'm not going to have a painting party. People come over and help me paint my house or do the proverbial raising of a barn. We basically have become these little automatons who are cocooned in our houses ordering out services yeah we buy and sell services yeah and we have basically we've lost something and we don't know that we've lost it because we've never had it or a lot of us have never had it before and the investments that we make in other people in a community is worthwhile it will add meaning to our lives it's funny you sent me that article by uh what's his face um the cool guy oh sebastian younger you know who made that Restrepo movie, which was a doc, documented his mm-hmm. time in the in the Af- in, in the I think it was Afghanistan. He was, was embedded with these troops, and what he found was is that in the worst place in the world, in the worst conditions in the world, these people were saying, "Gosh, I've never felt closer to other people. Like this has been the most humanizing experience of my life, except for all the brutal dehumanizing stuff that we have to do." Mm-hmm. But in the context of these relationships, um, and, and you know what he was saying is, is he thinks that he thinks that there's something fundamentally tribal about human beings. Whether or not you agree with them on every subject, they would put their life on the line for you, and you would put your, your life on the line for them. Like knowing that your the loyalty and the connection is is deep, and and so you feel safe because you, you feel like you're you're known, and you know other people, and yet and they they, they miss that. I think they also honestly I don't know if they missed the killing, but I think they missed the excitement of battling against something that is bad and and i and you mean having a collective mission i do i do because yeah. like you know because if you talk to people that have come back from the peace corps 
they'll tell you the same thing. Like they poverty, man, we were kicking its ass. And you know, like there's a sense in which they had that same feeling of we're doing something that's makes us feel very alive because it's life and death out here. Like if we don't get this school built, these kids will have terrible lives. And if, if we don't put in this well, you know, people are going to continue to die of dysentery. And, and so there's this sense in which I think as human beings, not only do we want to be together, but we want to be together engaged in some kind of a meaningful cause. And what's weird for me is, is that, you know, people say, well, what's the, what's your cause? And I go like, Oh, my cause is to rescue people who don't have causes. And so a lot of times, you know, when people say, well, what's the mission of this community? And I say, well, you know, at USC, the mission of my secular student fellowship community, those kids are looking for other kids that don't have community. And so their sense of purpose is, hey, there's a lot of lonely people out there and we can change their lives by including them. Right. It's a community whose purpose is to have a community. Yeah. Yeah, and, it, and it's, it's, it's like, what's funny is I've actually seen two kinds of communities. One that says, hey, let's ask 10 people and we'll, our purpose is to make life work for us 10 people um, and, and we'll get along. And those communities don't last very long because eventually people get on each other's nerves or there's a conflict and people go like, you know what? I can do better. Like, this isn't, this isn't working for me. This isn't fulfilling me. But then there are these communities that get together and go like, our, we're a community that exists to to provide community to people outside of our community. And those people get a lot, like, even when they have a conflict, they go like, look, you're kind of an asshole on this thing, but you're great with the social media and that's really helping us reach people and that's really helping us change lives. And so I'm going to work it out my problems with you for the sake of the mission. And so people sometimes say to me, there are missional communities and then there are non-missional communities. I'm like, yeah, the non-missional communities aren't, aren't communities very long. Mm-hmm. You got to have a re- you got to have a reason to be together. Got to have a bigger purpose that, big, that extends than yourself. Exactly, that extends beyond your group, yeah. I hey, couldn't agree more. So okay, so like this is great for me and like a part of me wants to just keep talking and you and I will keep talking. A part of me wants to cut this off cuz I think like there's this core thing that happened for you that I think is a hugely transferable thing for everybody else and that is that you got this idea in your head and you tried it. And it didn't work the way you thought it would. And you learned something and now you're going to try again. Mm-hmm. And, and if there's anything that I think that people in the secular world who are starting to feel this kind of need or recognize the need for people to connect need to hear, it's that if you haven't done it before, you probably don't know what you're doing. And you'll probably get your, get your hat handed to you the first couple of times. But you can, you know... But it's it's worth it, it. Anything and what I would say is anything that's worth doing is worth doing badly, at first, mm-hmm. um, because you won't. If, if it's worth doing well, you're gonna have to do it badly at first, or you'll never get there. I will also say that I don't think it's not only worthwhile. I think it's absolutely necessary right now uh, in our country. Our country is incredibly divided, incredibly part partisan, and we need to learn how to empathize with people again rather than just sitting in our little bubbles at home, only reading the three or four streams of news that reinforced our oftentimes wrong belief system and separate us uh, from other people. So I think it's really important. It's interesting. That, that's an interesting place to close because I think you're right. We're in the midst of this divisive event, election and people are just listening to stuff that reinforces. And you say, well, how do we, why wasn't it so polarized before? And the answer is because when people 
before people couldn't sit at home and pick what they heard, mm-hmm. they were actually getting their information a lot of times through much more broad bands. And so they had to listen to what other people were hearing too. Mm-hmm. And also if they were in a community, they had to... Yes. Part of being a community, you have to learn how to empathize with other people. And the, and the old people are thinking differently and the young kids are thinking differently and, and you have to you have to listen and figure that out. And, you, and, and in any good community, there's a lot of conflict. Mm-hmm. But it's conf- compromise. Yeah, there's conflict and compromise. compromise anymore. Yeah. And so, yeah, no, I think you're right. It's not just like people need it for themselves. It's that the world needs for us to be connected that way so that we just become less terrible to each other. <laughs> I would agree. All right, brother. It's great talking, talking to you. you. Yeah, I'll catch up to talking you soon. You. Bye. All right, so that was my conversation with Peter Montoya. Um, you can find out all about Peter on my website or you can go over to New Free Thinkers. Hey, speaking of my website, you should come to my website, bartcampola.org. And you can send me cool notes on that or you can find out about my coaching and counseling stuff that I do with a lot of people these days. Uh, you can find out about the chaplaincy work at USC. Um, I would love for this podcast to grow its audience to the point where we could do more cool stuff with it. Um, we skipped an episode last week. Some of you may have noticed that. And it's just because like we didn't have the wherewithal to get it out that last week. And, uh, and that's probably just, we just don't have a lot of resources to work with these days, but I think if we can build the audience, we'll get those resources. And if we can get those resources, we're going to be able to bring in better and cooler stuff. Although having said that, Oh my gosh, do I have some interviews lined up that you're going to like? Yeah, so just, uh, you know, buckle up. We're not done yet. All right, humans. I'll catch you next time. Bye. For more information about the work of Bart Campolo, please visit bartcampolo.org.